Welcome to John Cook Ministries Podcast. I'm John Cook. Today we are continuing our study on the pastoral epistles. Now, having covered the first seven verses for pastors, verses 8 through 13 for deacons, now we come to verse 14. There's some personal counsel given. Listen to what it says. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. These things are all these things we've read up to this point. What's his hope? Paul's hope is that he'll be released and he'll be able to come to Timothy in a short time. He had a sincere desire to be with Timothy and the believers in Ephesus, but he didn't know what the Lord was going to do. So he says, but if I tarry long, in the event I don't come shortly, now what might hold him up? Well, he's in prison at the time he writes this. In prison for the testimony of the Savior. Paul's desire for the church was that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. First to the pastor, then to the deacons, then to the people. How are you to behave in the house of God? God help us, we need to learn how to behave. There's so much foolishness goes on nowadays. We need to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. It's a true need today. I mean, think about it. You would think that the way we come into the house of God so often now is we treat it it so flippantly. I mean, it's like it's a, a playground, and it's not. And when we sit in church, we treat it like with unconcern, disinterest. We're distracted. We're unbelieving. We don't listen to what God says. We come, but we don't listen. We're so busy with our own lives. It's God's house, not our house. And we're to treat it as such. We're supposed to treat the church of God like with respect, something precious. Notice that he says it's the church of the living God. That's the house of God. It's a spiritual house built by God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 22, he says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. It's the Lord's house. It's the Lord's church. The church is not the authority. The Lord is the authority. The church is not the interpreter. The Lord is the interpreter. And he's given us his Holy Spirit as his interpreter so we could understand the word of God. The church is the living witness to the truth that's to be set forth before this world. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. Pillar supports the truth. We're to support the truth of God's word. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said. We're to be dedicated to the upholding and sustaining of the words of God. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That's our job. A pillar is something that's used not only for support, but for decoration. We're to decorate the truth. We're to give 
light to the truth. We're to make the truth so valuable that God's people see it with value. It's not only the pillar, but it's the ground of the truth. Equal footing when we come to the words of God. The words of God speak to each and every person. It's the ground upon which the New Testament is erected. The New Testament begins with the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7 tells us, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. That's what's important. Then verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Without controversy, nobody argues that point. There's no room for question. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That's certainly true. It's beyond our ability to understand it, except God reveal it. It's a great mystery that only God can reveal. Romans 16 and verse 25 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. This mystery that he's saying, great is the mystery of godliness. This mystery is the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. God sending his own son. God in the flesh. God himself is being manifested in the form of man. The creator, God, came to be the savior of men. Think of that. What a marvelous truth. And he says, and in being manifest in the flesh, God was manifest in the flesh with his own blood. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 tells us, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood, divine blood. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus declared himself to be God. Mark chapter 14, verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. That's God's name. In the book of Exodus, he tells Moses, I am hath sent you. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus says over and over again, I am. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. God was manifest in the flesh. What was his purpose in being manifest in the flesh? In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 we read, He that committeth sin is of the devil, 
For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 1 at verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Jesus came to reveal the invisible God to man. He came to die for us and to resurrect for us. The Bible says he's justified in the spirit. His works prove that his spirit was the Holy Spirit. Why, his very resurrection from the dead was by the Spirit of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The Spirit of God proved by his resurrection that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. In Romans 1.3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And then we look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. So Jesus came. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit and seen of angels. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels want to look into the gospel. Ephesians 4 and verse 6 through verse 10 says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Speaking of Christ. At his birth, the angels proclaimed his birth in Luke chapter 2. At his temptation, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 13, we find, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Scene of angels. At his death in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And at his resurrection, preached unto the Gentiles. You find that in Acts chapter 8 to chapter 28. 
believed on in the world. We know that from John chapter 1 and verse 12. He came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as believed in him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 16 says to the Philippian jailer, and thou shalt be saved. And then it says, and received up into glory. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says, when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus is going to return just like he went into heaven. And then in Luke chapter 24, verse 50 and 51, again we see, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He's gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him, the scripture tells us. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 22, truly great is the mystery of godliness. So this brings us to the conclusion of this chapter. Join us for the next chapter. Until then, God bless. Hey, this is John Cook again. Thank you for listening to the John Cook Ministries podcast on the pastoral epistles. Now, before you go, how about take some time and leave us a comment or maybe a prayer request or what question do you have that we might be able to answer for you? Let us know how we can help you. And don't forget to subscribe to the John Cook Ministries podcast and you will get the next lesson just as soon as it is released. Well, we'll say goodbye for now. God bless.